excited to introduce to you today's encounter speaker. Many of you already know him as Miles or Maria's dad, uh, but Mr. Clifton Ross uh, is a uh, entrepreneur. He owns a financial planning business, and he serves on a number of, of nonprofit school uh, boards, including our school board here at Southwest. His, uh, his passion is to empower young people to become uh, the next generation of Christian leaders and world changers, but his greatest um, role and goal in life is to, is to love his family, including his wife and his, his three children. I have been personally, personally blessed by hearing um, Clifton's testimony, and I'm, I'm so thrilled that, that all of us today get to hear from him uh, about what God has done in his life and, and about the very important topic he's come to share about. So with that, would you all give him a very warm welcome. There are so many black people. <laughs> I couldn't believe the words that were coming out of my wife's mouth. Elisa, we were dating. She was 17. And I took her home to the inner city of Chicago where I grew up so that she could see where I've come from, see my mom, my, my grandfather, my friends, see my world. And so we're on the highway, and she literally starts hyperventilating. She was like, <sighs> she couldn't breathe, and her eyes were wide, and I thought, I don't want my girlfriend to die in Chicago on a trip to see my family. So I pull over, and I'm like, Elisa, what's wrong? And she goes, there's so many black people. And I said, yeah, and you're one of them. Like, what is wrong with you? She was having a culture shock. She's from Egan, Minnesota. And she had never seen so many black people in her life, even though she's black. And to be true, there were a lot of black people. Where I grew up, it was all black people. In fact, when I was in elementary school from kindergarten all the way through eighth grade, there was not one white person in my entire school. It was 100% black. My neighborhood, I've never seen one white kid in my entire life in my neighborhood. It was 100% black. My church, 100, you can say it with me, right? Don't say it with me. 100, that would be cool. 100% black. In fact, I've got a picture here to show you. That's my high school class. We had 3,500 kids in my high school, about 430 in my senior class. And if you look, there's some white teachers, some brave white teachers at the bottom. But up there, look at all that black. You can't say that either. But that was my high school, uh, 3,500 kids, all black. In fact, go back to uh, eighth grade, the next one. No, oh, that's not eighth grade. <laughs> In eighth grade, there we go, 100%. It's 100% black. So I was comfortable with that because Nothing to me. It was just normal. Now, I should say I wasn't entirely comfortable being in Chicago because of the fact that it was pretty easy to get killed, though. That was the downside. 
Uh, when I was in sixth grade, a friend of mine in eighth grade, uh, it was the first time that I've encountered a friend who got shot and killed. And I remember thinking to myself, how do you get killed at 13, right? right? I mean, what can you do so bad that you get executed at 13 years old by a bullet in the head? Christopher Rifkin. Then later on in my sophomore year, I was in a youth group, had a great youth group. And uh, James, big, tall guy, funny guy, used to make up curse words all the time, kind of fake curse words. You know what I'm talking about. You do it too. Come on, quit lying. And uh, cool guy, wouldn't hurt a fly. That didn't stop him from getting shot. I remember looking at, the, uh, at his funeral at how the mortician tried to fill in the bullet hole in his head. He was 15 years old. So you weren't too young to get shot. You weren't too in the youth group to get shot. And then my senior year of high school, two weeks before graduation, Christopher Wallace had scholarships. He was a good kid, smart kid, uh, ROTC, going to a good school, happened to be at the wrong uh, White Castle one day on a Saturday. His brother was in the car, 10-year-old brother. He was 17, shot and killed. So that wasn't comfortable. But culturally, I was fine with Chicago. Problem, though, is that I graduated high school, and uh, I had to move on. I didn't know where I was going to go, though. I had no plan. But my mom had a plan for me, though, and her plan was, you just can't stay here. I was 17. Well, where am I going to go? And uh, she goes, I don't know. It's your problem. So I said, I know what I'll do. I'll go to college. But the problem is that I had a 1.3 GPA. I did the math on it, and I think that's like F minus. Is that true? Is that F minus? I think it is. And uh, so, but that didn't stop me from writing colleges to say, hey, I'd like to admit at your college because my mom's kicking me out. And it's like a week, two weeks before school season. And uh, I got letters back, and they were mostly like, are you joking? But surprisingly, there was one school that responded positively, North Central University. Can you believe they let me in on an academic probation? I want to find whoever that was in admissions that saw this kid trying to get out of the inner city of Chicago. So they let me in. So I told my mom, I'm going to college. I'm free of you. And so she goes, I'm free of you too. We're even. So she dropped me off at a Greyhound bus station. And I get on the bus and I come to Minnesota to go to college. Now remember where I'm from, right? So I go to Minnesota and here's what I see. There's so many white people. Oh, my God. They're everywhere. Legit. I was freaking out. Right? I mean, can you see the contrast? And that's pretty much like what it was, right? You might think that's a stock photo, but it looked just like that. Hi. So I was freaking out. Because if you think about it, everything that I knew about you, Everything I knew about them, I had to learn it from someplace else. I didn't have them. I didn't have that exposure. So where did I learn about you? Where you learn about everything before Google? Television, MTV, movies, and other people. So here's what I learned about you. I learned that you didn't like me. I learned that, in fact, you hated me. I learned that we couldn't get a starring role. If we were in a movie, we were the first one to get killed, right? When you saw a black guy in the movie, like, we know who's dying first. And it was kind of like that. I knew that I wasn't preferred. I'd never get the girl. I was going to be the sidekick. I'd be the best friend. 
I would be the nobody, the guy in the background. I was ugly, not preferred, despicable, untrustworthy, considered to be a criminal, considered to be uh, illiterate, considered to be uneducated, and maybe that part was true. But all in all, undesirable. And for sure, I knew you never wanted me to date your daughter. I kind of figured that one out early, early on. This is what I knew about you, but not from you. It's from media and what others said about you. In fact, in my eighth grade year, the principal came into the classroom because we ran away, three of the teachers, we were kind of a ruckus. And so the principal came into the room. This is the principal. You know what the principal said to me or to the class? He said, I'm not your problem. The educational system is not your problem. Your classmates are not your problem. You know who your problem is? And this is what he said. And he wrote in big letters on the board, M-A-N, the man. I'm like, who's the man? The white man. This is my principal. He, they are your problem. They're going to hold you back. They're going to oppress you. They're going to keep you down. They're not going to let you participate. They're not going to let you win. And they don't like you. If this were baseball, you've got one strike against you already just because you are who you are in black and brown skin. This was my principle. I didn't know not to believe him. So I'm like, who are, who is this man? And I never want to see him ever. And then here I am, surrounded by them, freaking out. So uh, needless to say, with a 1.3 GPA, going to college on an academic scholarship, I got my GPA up from like a 1.3 to a 1.1. So I think I may have gone in the wrong direction. Uh, so that ended my college endeavor. And I ran out of money, too. I mean, they would have let me stay. I ran out of money. And I, was, I wanted to go home anyway because I was freaking out because I was surrounded by people who did not like me, who did not know me. So I thought. So I called my mom and said, Mom, i got to come back home. She goes, no, you're still kicked out. I'm like, but that was like a year ago. I mean, come on, get over it. I called my grandmother, and she says, have you called any shelters? Shelters? And I realize this is it. I'm here. It's begun. And I'm here, and I'm among people that don't like me, and they don't know me. So I learned that love conquers fear. So I said, okay, I'm just going to love more. I'm going to love more. And so I got a book, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a classic. And it said, greet you say with love in your heart. And when, anytime you look at somebody, you look at them in your, in your mind, you say, I love you. And so that's what I did. I went around. And I went, I, when I ever saw white people, I go, I love you. I love you. I didn't do it to them. That's creepy, right? I did it to myself, right? I would just go, I love you. I love you. If they looked at me, slight it or whatever. And I would be like, oh my God, they don't like me. I would go, I love you. I love you. I love you. And that's what I did. I, honest to God, I did that everywhere I went. I love you. 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 That didn't work because I was just now more fixated on the fact that I was felt intimidated in fear and fear. But God had a plan. God had a plan. I took a job for a law, from a law firm that was doing estate planning. And estate planning is helping people plan their assets to go to their kids or beneficiaries and what have you. And so I took this job, and it was traveling all throughout the state of Minnesota. And like, like throughout the state of Minnesota, not like Minneapolis. It was like the whole state. And uh, uh, I had to go to like Osage and Grand Rapids. Anyone heard of Osage, Minnesota? Right, like three of you. That's how far away it is, right? Detroit Lakes, Grand Rapids, Chisholm, northeast of like Hibbing. Who's heard of Hibbing? 
right? Right? So here's where I am. And so I've got to drive to all these places. And I'm like, I'm scared to death because I know these people don't like me. And these are like old white people. That's even worse than the young ones. I was terrified. But I took the job anyway because I didn't want to not do something because I was afraid. And I would go to these homes. You know what I found? People loved me. They accepted me. They trusted me with everything they had worked for their entire life. These weren't bad white people. I was accepted. I was embraced. I was loved. Now, don't get me wrong. There were some despicable people that said some despicable things. But I was able to separate the issue. And so the layers began to peel away. And God began to heal me and free me. But for you, you're going through a culture shock to a certain extent. In fact, uh, look to your right. Look to your left. If you saw another white person, raise your hand. Yeah, right? So this is what's called the dominant culture. And the problem is that when you're part of the dominant culture, that you could lose sensitivity to things that other people are aware of, and you don't know that you don't know, and you don't know what you don't see. And so, dear white people, you're struggling with this. The world is changing. Look at this. This is a slide of the year, the age where white becomes the minority in 2044 in every age group. The dominant culture is shifting. In fact, right now in 2016, those Minnesotans under 10 years old, they are already the majority. And so the culture is shifting. And it's a struggle for anyone to adapt to that, and you're, you're kind of having your moment. And here's how we know. Look at this. Megyn Kelly. Remember Megyn Kelly? Right? She was on, had a Fox show, or, you know, Fox, and then went to, had her own show on NBC. And she said one thing on one day, and what happened to her job? Gone. $30 million. Boom, gone. She's been off television for two years. Who's next? James Gunn, director of Guardian. Of the galaxy. Great movie, by the way. I highly recommend it. Uh, a tweet from years ago using the F word. Or the N word. <laughs> What's the N word? Nitrogen. Exactly. Fired. But I didn't mean it. Doesn't matter. Can't say it. I didn't know three years ago. See, this is what's happening. It, the list goes on. Roseanne, 2 o'clock in the morning, she sent a tweet saying that some black person looked like a monkey. Not recommended. But it was Ambien. It was the Ambien. Well, not my fault. But that didn't stop her from losing her namesake show. Who's next? Oh, and then, of course, you've heard about the Beckys, right? They call them the Beckys. These are just like random white people. They call the police on black people that do just normal things. Like, there's a black person. What is he doing? Walking. Get here fast. <laughs> Yeah. So it's kind of funny, but it's not. 
Because I don't believe that these folks were maybe racist, racist. But what's happening is that they were lacking what's called uh, a cultural sensitivity, uh, a, a cultural consciousness that the landscape is changing. And so when we're kind of in a bubble, we don't know it. And we can do things and say things that hurt and offend, and we didn't mean to, but they do. But the problem is this is why Dan has brought me here and I've engaged with you to help you so that this doesn't happen to you where you go and, put, and invest and your parents invest in all this time and all this education. And then along the way you send a tweet or because of a tweet that you sent yesterday, five years from now, you lose everything. So we need to be equipped with how do we adapt to a changing world. Listen to this. Yeah, yeah, you called him a monkey on live television. I don't know, they're friends, they really are friends, you see? This is the problem, because blind people don't hit the walls on purpose. They really don't see the wall. Now, if she were going for an interview or for a promotion, do you think she got it? Right? Could that happen to you? Could that happen to me? It could happen to me right now. Right now, my company, I've got, did the math on it, 99.6% of my clients are white. 99.6. My employees, 84.8% of them are white. So imagine if I had sent out a tweet or a text back when I was in high school, when I was in a culturally dominant position that was all fun to all my friends. But that was exposed in the media today, today, this very day, like right now today. What would happen to my business? What would happen to my clients that trust me and that love me? Could that cause a tremendous conflict? And could that actually destroy my business? This is why it's important to get a cultural consciousness so that you're equipped. So in the last like 10 minutes that we have, I'm going to run through this. Is time going by as fast for you as it is for me? I'm going to run by this. It's six things that I think will help you to start thinking, who wants a greater cultural consciousness? Who wants to have your eyes more open to things that we don't see? Okay? So six steps. Number one, A, be humble. Remember I said look to your left, look to your right, and the person you saw probably looked like you? Then you could just assume that there's perspectives that others have that you don't have and things that they see that you don't see. So humility. Admit that there's just cultural things that we not, may not be able to see. And it helps you to engage with people in a way that makes it less likely that you're going to cause offense or hurt them unintentionally. It's just a level of humility. I don't have so much, I don't have time, but I remember I got, I had, I was in my car getting ready to go to work and these cops run by and I'm thinking somebody's in trouble and they run up to my car with guns in my face. And I'm like, wait, 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 whoa, wait, whoa, wait, what? And they pull me out of the car put me in handcuffs, and I said, get that gun out of my face. Get that life-taking instrument out of my face. And they told me, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And so they're dragging me back to the house in handcuffs, gun on my head. 
and I tell them, I said, my, the, cha- the statistical chances of me being shot by accident are higher because I'm black. And he goes, well, don't pull the race card on me. I go, no, wait, I'm not a Black Lives Matter activist. That's just a fact. He listened to what I was saying. He settled down. And, you know, he apologized. And I've never forgotten that. He said, I'm sorry for putting my firearm in your face. Be humble. I had a perspective that he didn't see. My life was in danger, not because he was mean or bad, but because of an accident, because of just the way our cultures are colliding. And he apologized. Oh, I'm running out of time. Actually pulled me over five years later. Didn't pull me over. He, I was in Plymouth, where I lived, and he waved, and he waved me to go into a parking lot. And went to the parking lot, he goes, Clifton, he goes, your tabs are expired. And I said, oh, sir, I didn't know, da, 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 sorry. And I said, you know what, I remember you. You're the officer that you apologized to me, and I've never forgotten it. And he says, I saw your license plate, I knew it was you, and that's why I didn't pull you over in the street, so I didn't have to impound your car. Pretty good, huh? Be humble. Next. Don't assume you know someone because you know their stereotype, right? You don't know me, and, and, and if your exposure is limited, then you might think you know me because of what you've seen about me and how I've been represented in the media. That's not me. When I started college at North Central University, uh, I was introducing my, myself to my roommates, and one of my roommates walked in, and there was David and John, and he goes, hey, David, hey, John. He looked at me, he says, what's up, brah? I said, what's up, panties? And he goes, well, why would you call me panties? I said, well, you call me ladies' underwear, I call you ladies' underwear. He goes, no, 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 I didn't say bruh, I said bruh. I was like, dude, do I talk like that? You, right? Why do you, how come he could be John, they could be Steve, and I'm woman's underwear? That's not fair. Don't assume you know someone because you know their stereotype. Hey, newsflash, uh, most black people can't dance. Watch. You're clapping because you're white. Black people know that's not dancing. Most black people can't sing. Most black people can't play basketball. Most black people suck as athletes. True. Oh my God, I didn't know that. I know because most of us, our exposure is through the media, which is an entertainment medium. So most of us see blacks in an entertainment platform. Most blacks are not an entertainment platform. They're just normal people, just like you and me. I guess I am me too, right? So you know what I'm saying, right? So don't assume you know someone because they're serious. Get to know them personally. Okay, keep going. Assume all human needs are the same. Sometimes we have so much separation, we have these myths about each other. Who are you and what do you want? And how do you feel? And what do you need? Whenever you see anybody on the planet, assume it's the same. Because it is. Culture is taught. Culture is not inherent. That's why you can have a black guy over in Britain. Isn't it funny how they talk? They talk just like the Britons. That's culture. It's taught. They weren't born that way. They were here. Hey, have you ever seen like a black, a white kid that like grows up in like deep, like uh, Oakland, California, and a white kid that lives in, or black kid that lives in Prior Lake, Minnesota? So have you seen that culture is taught? The white dude could sound more black than the black dude can. And by the way, you can't say stuff like that. Don't do that. You're an Oreo. You're a black dude, but you sound white. No, that's not cool. Right? 
You have you a white dude that sounds black. Culture's taught. That's just culture. That's not white or black or color. That's culture. If you lived in India, I bet you, you know, anyway. So, <laughs> next. Now, there's a line, though. But we're not all the same. And that's okay. Listen carefully, because this is where we get wrong, right? For those of you that are not racist, which are, you all are not, okay? Let's assume it, and I believe it. You're not. But sometimes we go too far to say, I don't see color. Then you're blind. It's okay to see color. You should see color. It's fine to acknowledge cultural differences, right? Imagine an artist who couldn't see color. His work would be terrible. Her work would suck. you got to have color, right? Because sometimes you need to use the yellow. Sometimes you need to use the brown. Sometimes you need to use the green. But if you think about a box of crayons, the way the crayon is made fundamentally, I bet it's the same. The colors are different and for a good reason. So, by the way, never say I'm colorblind ever again to prove that you're not racist. Don't be colorblind. It's fine to acknowledge. It's just not from an area, a level of superiority. It's from a level of appreciation that every color can add something good and nice. Am I helping you here? This is good stuff. Okay, what's the next one? Oh, no, no, back a little bit. Okay, a little exposure goes a long way. A little exposure goes a long way. I look at Facebook and Instagram and and your, your pictures, and whenever I see, like, Instagram and stuff like that, usually it's just like, White, 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 everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And I'm going to encourage you, get some exposure. Go to a different restaurant. Go to a different church so that you'll get a chance to see other cultures in real time, not on television, so that you know for yourself who people are. And it's going to empower you. And it's going to test the way you think and the way you speak. So you're less likely to get fired someday for saying something you didn't mean to say because you weren't trying to hurt somebody. A little exposure goes a long way. And then lastly, everyone's talking about race today. Fox and CNN and immigrants and the wall and everybody's saying something. But remember, Christ has a say. And if you're a believer, you're his voice. And so what's Christ saying? Really two things. God, the things of God are simple. Love God. Love people. Love God, love people. And that should motivate us to make the changes that we need to make for a changing world so that we're representing him and not throwing people off and offending and hurting people or maybe even hurting ourselves because of something we didn't know and didn't do. Because blind people don't hit the walls on purpose right? We can't see them. So this helps you to open your eyes. We know the story. Love your neighbor as yourself. Human nature says, wait, 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 I'm on a loophole. I'm on a loophole. Who's my neighbor? Who's our neighbor? Everybody, especially the one that's been disregarded and discarded and abandoned by society. That's what Jesus says. So I appreciate you guys. I thank you that Dan and what you've done to try to to raise just a greater uh, cultural consciousness so that we can equip you for the real world. My high school or that eighth grade teacher, 
Remember the one I told me that told me that you were my problem? That wasn't true. That wasn't true. You were going to hold me back? 99.8% of my clients are you. You didn't hold me back. I'm successful because of you, because you believed in me and let me help you. He was preparing me for a world that he didn't live in. The world of his 60s and 50s. I wasn't going to live in the 60s and 50s. I was living in the 90s, in the 2000s and on. And here you are. And it's about where you're going and continuing to equip. So if you need some feedback from me, if you need some help from me to continue to, to raise your social consciousness, I'm, I'm here to help because I want you to succeed in every area of your life and be used by God and not allow the way we see the world skewed to hinder God's moving in your life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these people. I thank you for these people of God. These are not ordinary people in this room. These are not ordinary people in this school. These are not ordinary faculty, ordinary staff, but they're anointed specifically for this day and time to have an impact on this world for the kingdom of God through what you're going to do as we go forward. And I know you want to strip these things off of us so that we can see clearly and think clearly and connect clearly so that we can have a life of great purpose in building the kingdom of God for this new generation and empower this group in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Enjoyed you guys. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for listening in on our Encounter podcast. You can find previous Encounter recordings and who will be coming in future weeks on our Southwest Christian High School webpage, www.swchs.org. Click on Student Life and Encounter. Again, thank you for joining us. And until next time, keep your eyes fixed, not on speakers, teachers, or institutions, but on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith.